Hey everyone, welcome to The Roman Times, a show where I talk about everything creative, funny, or absurd. Today, I have a guest. His name is Wei Ting, and he's an independent podcaster based out of Toronto, Canada. Wei is someone that's been in the media and broadcasting game for 12 years. He's covered topics like mixed martial arts, pro wrestling, pop culture, and more recently, personal development. In this episode, we talk about how he got started in media, building an audience, advice for new creators, and the future of the creator economy. All right, here it is. Man, thank you so much for doing this, by the way. Um, you're actually uh, a real podcaster. You're the first real podcaster I've done this with, which is funny for a podcast. What is a real podcaster, anyway? What Someone who's actually like clawed their way to a position where they can do this for a living. Because podcasting, as you probably know, it's one of those things that everyone and their pet cat wants to do it. It is hot. People are seeing like Spotify buy a podcaster. They just hear the word podcaster and they go, I want to do that. We're, we're far from the level where I think Spotify's looking to buy They might us, call. But... They might see this and they'll go, hey, man, we got we to gotta give these guys a call. I, I also don't know if I would classify me as, like, clawing. You know, like, I, I think I've, I've been extremely lucky in, and I would classify maybe more as, maybe it more as falling into. Really? Dude, so... you've worked hard as fuck. I, I remember I first saw you. I mean, this is insane. I'm going to try to dig up footage. And you did this video that was about Pride MMA when you were on the street during the Pride Parade talking to people and i remember seeing that i think that was like 12 years ago yeah we were we were actually not in school at that point like we were uh active like you were already professionals that, that were okay doing, that were doing ridiculous that makes that video like that. so much better yeah yeah we were working for a tv channel called the fight network and uh we covered you know pro wrestling and mixed martial arts and um of course you know mma fans know pride fc was a very famous very beloved japanese uh mma promotion and uh, at that point, it had recently gone defunct. Um, and the idiots that we were, we decided to um, make a little man on the street interview um, talking about Pride FC at the annual Toronto Pride. <laughs> That's, and, I, I love that you gave the backstory on that because uh, the fact that you guys actually knew your MMA too and the, the look of confusion on people's faces, or I guess. It was just, I think it was a fun way to be discovered, like to find someone. Cause I'm like, oh, this is a person who doesn't take things too seriously. You know what I mean? It's cool. And uh, I do remember you guys working for the Fight Network. I was like huge into the Fight Network. I would really? be like always watching with my friends. Wow. And I was just aware that you guys were doing stuff for it, like you specifically. So I think by the time you walked into Open Mat MMA where we met, I was already like, I kind of, I know that guy. I know him from like the MMA scene and things that are going on. And it's like, it's just cool to see, I guess, in a city like Toronto, like you follow people and you know of them, you like their work. And then you see them in real life. You're like, oh shit, this guy's real. He's not like AI online. It, it, it's just funny to hear you describe like, you know, meeting me as like some sort of like, you know, like celebrity encounter. Cause like a micro celebrity. We're yeah. not that at all. Like, in fact, it still surprises me to hear that like people watched the Fight Network back then. And because <clears throat> I just, you know, and I, I say this as, as somebody who was like, you know, uh, I considered myself one of the people who helped, you know, build it from, from the inside, at least, you know, just as an early employee. Um, I just felt like our, our stuff was like so small and so niche that like I didn't think anybody was watching. So the fact that you happen to see the video and uh, I do remember our, my first class, you mm -hmm. know, where you were my, my coach. And uh, it was at some point like you're you're an excellent teacher, by the way. Oh, I, thank and, you. And man. That was part of the reason why I stuck with it for so long, because I think I, I had great coaching from the very beginning. Um, 
but yeah, you came up to me at the end and you were like, or in the middle of class and you were like, you that dude from the drive video. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that goes, I think that happened a lot at open mat, by the way, for context, Wayne and I met at open mat mixed martial arts. You started doing Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Yeah. I happened to be a instructor there at the time and uh, you stuck with it for quite a while. I did, like yeah. you, you, you'd done it for years. Like you're always just, I remember very like serious student. You, you cover a lot of pro wrestling. Is that common in that pro wrestling world for people that are involved in it on the media side also train? I'm going to say no. No, like, you're like it, the, the real deal. Well, I mean. Like um, you could kill a lot of those guys probably. <laughs> no, actually now it's probably more common than it was before, but I I would say for the most part, like maybe maybe MMA journalism is is slightly different from professional wrestling journalism, but I, f- I feel like at least in pro wrestling journalism, um, you know what? I, I maybe I should take that back because I think there are a lot of people that actually are professional wrestlers, like like Brian Alvarez. I know I know is a very popular uh, tenured um, journalist, and, and he trains or he he's a, f- a professional wrestler. Um, but I like. I would say for the most part, I think, uh, you know, profes- professional wrestling fans are fans first and foremost. Mm. And um, the gulf between, like, training and fandom probably exists as a bit wider than maybe, for me at least at the time, you know, um, being an MMA fan and signing up for a jiu-jitsu class. Um, but, I mean, we were both. We, we covered both wrestling and MMA. And for me, like, I had always heard so much about, you know, MMA being sort of a a gentle art that, you know, um, wasn't maybe as, um, I don't know, douchey as some of the <laughs> other sports. And I mean, you can maybe debate that whether or not you, you think that to be the case or not. I but. felt that way as well. Yeah. Yeah. Because have you, have you ever grappled with a pro wrestler? Like after you had started a, a jujitsu, you kind of knew some of your stuff. That's interesting. Yeah. I don't think so. I don't you think so. Never made up, met up with anyone at events and you're kind of like, no, nor would I dare right now. Nor would I dare. That'd be interesting. No, no, I mean, no. Because a lot of, I mean, a lot of them do have, like, real wrestling experience, Now more right? than before, yeah. Yeah, but a lot of them are also kind of, like, really good performers and entertainers mm-hmm. and showmen. Mm-hmm. So they're not necessarily also great fighters. The, the combination of, like, um, I think r- real, authentic, like, grappling and professional wrestling has definitely increased, like, over mm-hmm. the past, you know, decade plus since MMA became really popular. So you'll see a lot of professional wrestling sequences incorporate, in fact, like, promotions, that are completely based around uh, grappling jujitsu style. Yeah, I've seen it. And I'm kind of in a position where I know shockingly little about it. Mm. Um, because when I was a kid, my parents were very strict on like what went on the TV. And every time like wrestling started to appear on the TV, like professional wrestling, mm. they would like, I'd be like, oh, this looks so cool. What is it? And it would just instantly get turned off. My parents would see it. They're like, this is ridiculous. This is like some American bullshit, whatever. We're going to turn this off. But what snuck through and how I ended up in jiu-jitsu is my dad was doing Aikido at the time. And he would be like, you got to watch this Steven Seagal shit. Cause this shit that, so that's how I got into that. He, that was allowed and I got into jiu-jitsu. But had I, wow. my parents were slightly different. They're like, yeah, watch wrestling. And then I would have probably been into that too. So, so much of it just depends on what you were exposed to as a kid. Completely, yeah. I, I would say Steven Seagal... Um is just as ridiculous or flamboyant as any like professional wrestler. In fact, I think, yeah, he would have been made a great professional wrestler. Yeah. Um, for me, professional wrestling was my gateway, and I think many people's gateway into MMA, which ended up being my gateway to jujitsu. Yeah, that that is a gateway because shortly after that, 
I started watching pride clips online because I was like curious about it. But then I ended up getting into like MMA and all that. And I just once I got into that, there's no going back. Like, I think now if I try to get into some like pro wrestling, like my sort of semi-formed adult brain just like reject it. It's like being pulled out of the matrix too late. It's just like I know the whole thing's an act. It's, it's like see the thing is is like i i certainly don't watch it as if it's like tricking myself i mean the best wrestling makes you do that but i watch it like a steven seagal movie like yeah you, know, you, like a... you judge the performance you judge the acting uh you judge the choreography of of the fight scene it's very true yeah, yeah it's 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 just an impressive i guess sport like it's so physically demanding the amount of work that these guys put into it and like the level of skill that they have like i remember went back and i binged just like old 80s wrestling uh i guess promos what what they're called Mm -hmm. and i was just like i'm like these guys should all have podcasts now like if they had podcasting back then they would all be amazing podcasters do actually do they wrestling podcast like the way they think on their feet and they just like they say shit i was like oh they're very like cerebral I guess in the sense that the top MMA fighters able to promote themselves like they were doing that back then. It, it's been cool to see like sort of the public start to, um, I think, celebrate maybe <clears throat> that aspect of professional wrestling a bit more. Like, you know, you have people like The Rock who, I mean, are who they are and successful because I think of a great ability to like, you know, just exude that amount of uh, charisma you know mm-hmm. um either in front of a crowd or on, on in front of a camera mm-hmm. um so i think people a lot more people maybe respect the, the difficulty of like being able to go go to an arena and like you know cut a giant promo in front of a bunch of people so that they might want to pay to see you yeah uh, perform later as someone who does that as a job and it's such a unique job like when you started dating your now wife how did you explain like when she asked what you do like how did you explain her and how was her reaction to something that i guess unique yeah that's that's an interesting question i'm trying to think if i even remember um well i i don't think when i was dating my now wife that she thought that she would be my now wife okay (laughs) wow that's out there now (laughs) feel like it was just more like she was like it was a thing it was just i don't know this dude is weird i'm like i'm probably not gonna see him after you know like this month he's screaming into a microphone i don't i don't know what this is like wrestling people like people still watch that that's the reaction i usually get people still watch that oh wow yeah you don't think it's real do you like i i get that often so that's why i asked because so many people give you that kind of reaction and it's just so annoying over time. And I'm sure you got into jujitsu because I have as well in the early days of jujitsu. No matter who you told you to do jujitsu, they're like, well, it's kind of gay. Like, that was yeah. sort of the general. So at a certain point, I just kind of stopped no, talking totally. about it. But, like, I think there's so many great things that, you know, look weird on the outside. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I don't know, for me, those are the things I'm typically drawn to. Mm-hmm. Um, the stuff that just, like, you know, only makes sense to, like, the people that are that are really into it whether it be music or like you know i don't know like a weird weird movie or something right so yeah. for someone like your spouse who's obviously like one of the closer people to you i wish yeah. she at a certain point like that's just what he's into and that's yeah. that i i think for her i mean maybe maybe she she's impressed that I've, I've managed to make a living like doing something like this that that's pretty unconventional especially for like asian people um i think at this point um she understands it a whole lot more. She like sits with, or at least she's in the room when I'm watching it, like for most of my evenings. So she's probably 
shocked at the amount of wrestling she's absorbed through osmosis. Um, <laughs> yeah, that but tends she, to happen. She's not at all a fan, you know, still to, to this day. Right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's cool that she appreciated it because what you built is crazy. I mean, it, when we look at, like, because of, the, because of the internet, we see just so many people that are mega successful doing it that some people forget, like, just how hard it is to get to a point to just have a small audience that mm-hmm. watches and supports your stuff. Totally. People can't do that overnight. A million yeah. people wish they could. I have... Knowing a million people who try to start podcasts, I'm sure you have as well. And uh, for a lot of people, it's kind of like, I don't want to say get rich quick scheme, but they do a couple. And if if those don't blow up, they kind of give up. So I think meeting someone that has stuck with it and has made something out of it is is very impressive to anyone, even if they're not into that content. Because they're like, damn, this person, they figured it out. They stuck it out and they did it. Well, thank you. Um, I I don't know if I could really say I figured it out because like I don't know figuring if I, it out. I don't yeah. know if I could replicate you know like you know being able to start a career in something like this if I wanted to, but I'm I'm somebody who you know I'm I feel extremely lucky to be able to do this to have the privilege of um, talking for for a living. Um, even though like I'm I'm very much an introvert and never thought I would. Like English is my second language. Like I yeah, went to same, ESL. Same, same, man. I was yeah, in ESL really? in grade three. I had yeah. an accent for years, so I didn't really talk much until wow. really like late high school. So we're kind of making up for lost time, I guess. You I am. I'm cramming all of it in yeah. now. Yeah. I'm like, I got to do all my talking now because now we won't I shut up. They, <laughs> exactly. Now yeah. it's, it's all like pouring out now, yeah. especially with like immigrant parents. Mm-hmm. Like the mentalities, you kind of just put your head down and you work. Any sort of creative thing like film, music media if you tell families like that that's what you want to do they look at you like you're insane they're like we should just ship you back where you came from because we didn't sacrifice what we did to get here to let you screw around yeah you're you're just like messing around my funny enough my dad kind of gets it because he used to be a journalist and he's like oh radio you know what i mean like us kids now are like podcasting but he's like Broadcasting has been around for many, yeah. many years. It's There's nothing. no word for podcasting that I know of in Cantonese. Like I can't right. describe <laughs> right. what I do to my parents. Right. Yeah. The the term itself has like worn on me so much that I just say it's a show now. I'm like I'm doing yeah. a show yeah. because it it no longer is even limited to audio. Like you might do a thing that part of it goes on YouTube, part of it is like a live stream, mm-hmm. some of it is audio, some of it is clips on Instagram or TikTok. Mm-hmm. So. It's just media at this point. It's like come full circle. Yeah. But even if your parents, your family's not into that kind of stuff, or they're traditional, just telling them you want to pursue it, it's like kind of crazy. Like when they, I know your family's from Hong Kong, I believe mm-hmm. you said, right? Yeah. When you told them like this is what you want to do with a career path, were they like, how did they even take that? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. I, I mean, I think my family is is kind of unique in that, like for an Asian family, my my parents gave me and my brothers a lot of leeway to determine our own paths um my mother is a teacher and through her teaching like she she actually kind of specializes in music so art was always in the house uh my brothers my two older brothers one ended up being a musician a music producer for like hong kong pop acts oh wow uh and another became a professional photographer in shanghai and and china like doing like high-end fashion wow so um when it came time for me to announce my career path, I mean, I watched a lot of TV as a as a kid, and looking through that list of like you know career options in, in the university book, the only thing that I felt like I could possibly tolerate doing, you know, for more than eight hours a day, 
was radio and television. Wow, that's that's insane. It's like so many rare things happen. The fact that you knew from such a young age, you're like, this is what I like doing. And the fact that your parents were creative enough for an Asian family, which is Mm -hmm. rare. I mean, they're like, if you're not going into finance, we will just, Mm -hmm. God knows what will happen to you. And my family was a similar way, not as stern. My my mom had a went to school for mathematics, my dad was a journalist. So they're very serious. There's no move going back to not being able to watch wrestling in the house. There's no movies in the house. No a lot movies? of those things were man, it was like what? a blockade. I was like sanctioned. Like you I couldn't What do they have against movies? Especially like My movies. mom found it to be like she'd always refer to it as like sick imagination. It's like a the twisted sick imagination of Hollywood people. My dad would be like <laughs> Hollywood is bullshit. I mean they're from the former Soviet Union. So they That's are amazing. That's amazing. It was like an uphill battle in the house to to be in any sort of like art ish content like any wow. like film or whatever so we had to like do it in secret you know like wow. yeah i had to like watch stuff in secret so to, to hear that yeah your your family is was involved in that it's um what, what kind of movies would you like stow away in secret i'm curious man i felt like i guess people in north korea feel where they get like they <laughs> get handed usb drives with movies yeah. on them like flung over the border i would just have to get bootleg stuff from my friends they would like burn stuff for me on like vhs or later dvd and i'd watch See, it i'm and... just envisioning like because like i think like most kids of like a prior generation they would have like their secret porn stashes no and, i like, got off to lord of the rings and simpsons yeah, yeah. Like, like mary you might have like a mary poppins like stash. yeah it, <laughs> it was weird. it was all i had because i was That's just amazing. i really wanted to be a part of i guess like western or canadian society because i felt like wow. i was just like maybe if i watch a lot of this shit i'll learn the language quicker and i'll fit in quicker mm-hmm. but it's so crazy to hear that you're you're able to do that and receive like a relatively good amount of support. Yeah, honestly, my my parents seemed to be happy that I had at least made up my mind about doing something. You know, right. I think for a long time I didn't really give any indication about what I was wanting to do, and I didn't even really know myself. Again, I really chose this career because it seemed like the only thing I could tolerate. You know, for, for doing for 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 a long long time. Uh, but thankfully, like I I think I, I made a decent choice because like I think other than being creatively minded, I'm very technically oriented as well mm-hmm. um so like i love machines and and and, and being creative with with mm-hmm. machines so mm-hmm. being in something like broadcasting i think was was a great way to you know use all those skills that makes perfect sense because i um you you mentioned you like identify more as an introvert it's like very important to learn what you don't want to do as a yeah. kid because then you can spend so many years wasting your time doing that and mm-hmm. i've spent years doing stuff i didn't want to do long term but i needed the money i didn't know what else to do so you kind of went through like almost a, a list of, of like negative selection. You're like, well, I don't imagine myself doing anything else, and I can tolerate this. a list of, this. of these careers, and I'm like, You're I like, want to be an no, accountant. No, no, no. Everything looks so boring. Yeah, the process of elimination is what I meant to say. And I think that it's funny to say like this is what I can tolerate doing, but that is really what it is it's like it's first i mean it's incredibly daunting at whatever age like 15 16 17 to have to think about what you want to do for the rest of your life you know i think that's a unfair pressure we we put on on a lot of people um but i think it's also important to realize like okay well you might be spending a lot of money devoting yourself to this one path but nothing is forever Mm -hmm. you know like i i what did you go to school I went to school for like I changed majors like three times. Start off with art and then business and then marketing, and then I just dropped so out. So you're kind of still like you know using using like you're still sort of still on that path. Right? So sort of like I everything I did was mostly self taught. 
like school mm. i just kind of fucked around a lot i didn't really like what i was doing i just didn't like the process of school and to what you said about people like at a young age having to choose something it's insane that we basically put a gun to a 17 year old kid's head and we go choose what you're gonna go into debt for and then yeah. what you're gonna do for the rest of your life and they're kind of like um i don't i don't know like it's crazy it's a wild system when i was just out of school was this thing called the fight network that was just starting up and they were looking for interns and i happened to love this stuff um and you know kind of got in that way the luckiest break i had in my life was befriending this guy named john pollock who turns out um is one of the best like journalists hosts that uh i think is in our space um and and, you know for whatever reason decided to work with me and i have to say like i think we work really well together you know like we his skills really complement mine and uh as i think you know we we've talked about this but like i think our chemistry as like you know not just friends but like as business partners is, is pretty strong as well so that that really is a secret to success find your own john pollock find a john pollock yeah, yeah. i i've met him a bunch of times um i have seen you guys I've, i think i've been super wasted with you guys on a couple of occasions at a bar i believe it's called mickey finn's yeah was that what it was on carlton street that was for I, our birthday i think i've been to two of your birthdays and the, one of them i showed up and you were already so banged <laughs> up i don't think you even realized i was there uh but he was there and uh i know you guys have had this like really long collaborative relationship and he that he sounds like a real broad like a professional broadcaster when i hear him talk i'm like that's some howard stern shit like he like he's got that voice Mm -hmm. i i I don't know like you guys are both really good like the stuff that you've done together um but i i totally agree yeah he does yeah I, i i was listening so I've been listening to, uh, I've been checking out your podcast like over the last few months, specifically like the wellness policy. Uh, the first time I checked out, checked it out, it was, I believe the atomic habits book. Oh, cool. Uh, I checked out the one about dating where you guys had like a third uh, person on there that was like a dating relationship coach. Yeah. And the most recent one, uh, was the one about community building. And you mentioned, uh, on the community one that you had spent like a lot of time i guess when you were younger on like message boards mm-hmm. and kind of talking to people online and uh making friends online like is that do you still have people that you know that you met through that that method no not not at all like not i mean no i no i can't really say so like that was probably like you know stuff people i would have met as part of that circle like so for me that that particular instance was like attached to a band this band death from above 1979 Mm -hmm. and like there'd be like a small group of people who'd like you know like at the concerts would meet up and like you know do all that um but yeah those friends were probably long gone um Do, do you see that method as something like you could do again in the future like the way you know you do podcasts remotely yeah. and you well it is happening like a lot of my like social circle today are people that i've met through our podcast right they don't even necessarily live here i've never met them oh some of like the the person i i actually i have i have met them briefly in person but like you know even the person i do the the wellness policy with jordan he's somebody i i, I chat with all the time mm-hmm. I, I probably had like very fleeting in person with meeting with him once and we weren't even really friends back then so wow but uh but yeah like you know a lot of my closer relationships at least you know through texts and, and sometimes phone calls are people 
met strictly through the podcast yeah that's wild because mm-hmm. as a kid i was i used to do the exact same thing i used to be part of a, a game development community mm-hmm. like i wanted to originally go into game design and i was doing 3d artwork and all my friends were part of this community online and my mom would always be like these are not real people i mean half the time she thought i was getting scammed by someone <laughs> or yeah. catfish but but the idea back then was wild i mean this was before like remote podcasts or tinder or any of the things that we have now that have normalized it mm-hmm. but uh that I've been thinking about that recently with COVID and everyone indoors. It's it's what you guys talked about on the community podcast is like, can people actually make friends online and feel like mm-hmm. they have that connection even though they don't physically hang out with that person? I think, I think 100% yes. Yeah. Like really, what is the difference other than maybe sharing physical space? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. What it, what is the difference? Your, your communication is the same. Yeah, it's true. Wait, there are some people like they're such social butterflies. They want to be in a like room full of people yeah and i've never really felt that i've always liked like more like one-on-one connection or connection with smaller groups of people and i think for that for like our subset of people that works really well i'm just wondering if like people that really want they're like super extroverted if that's just not good enough for them like they might need the real thing yeah yeah it could be you know i i find it because like i think I've, i've known many instances of people meeting each other online becoming friends and then hanging out in person and carrying on those relationships fine i i don't see any problem there you know it's it's obviously a difference when you're talking about romantic dating where like mm. you might text and, and 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 you know exchange things for a long time but then in person the chemistry might not be there yeah that's definitely one of the one of the different yeah differences. And you're not necessarily looking for physical chemistry when you're just simply looking for a friend or like you know somebody to go to a concert with right yeah yeah it's definitely happening a lot more now and i'm seeing people online like once their podcast or youtube starts doing well they kind of become a part of this like inner circle people that also do a very similar thing as them that have like shared values um and i was curious about like your own personal experience like because you're kind of in this media field i don't know how many like regular nine to five people you know but have you ever found that you i guess drifted away from friends that do a completely like radically different thing and you guys just kind of like no longer connect or see i guess eye to eye on things Hmm. not like there's a disagreement but it's like have you ever had like yeah this this is my group of people that i used to relate yeah you just you start drifting because you just can't relate because they just do something just so not even close to what your life is um i i would say you know, if I've drifted apart from friends, it's it's because of just simply getting older mm. and like, you know, my friends having kids or like uh, us, you know, like it tends to happen when you get older and you kind of build your own lives. And especially COVID has, has definitely accelerated that, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're all just a lot more kind of like, you know, with, with ourselves. And if I don't have some shared interest with those friends, I'm less likely to, to communicate with them. But yeah. I mean, my wife does a nine to five. She she works at a, a, a as a physio at a hospital. So um, I I don't think you know like my other like one of my other best friends is like an HVAC repairman. Really? So, do they look at what you do and they're like, what the fuck is? They're probably just that? yeah. They're probably just confused about right. what, what it is that I do. Um, but do, do they take an interest in a lot of the stuff you do? A little bit, but but not so much. It's they just look at my job as a job, just like I look at you know being an HVAC repairman. Yeah, as, right, as <laughs> right. Yeah. That's funny that this like the job you do is something so many people want but there are also people who might look at it and be like that's like being an accountant like totally yeah cares absolutely and there yeah. are people that look like being an accountant as a dream job like oh, yeah. I, 
I, I, I know it's, I, I was talking shit about accounting earlier, but like, <laughs> I think there's there's real beauty in in, in, in numbers and, you know, balancing a That's the most checkbook. introvert thing I've ever heard. <laughs> there's like a perfectly organized spreadsheet is beautiful. Oh, I'll bet. Yeah, the reason I say all that is because I've, uh, I've gone through so many different phases in my life. Like I've, you know, I've been into art and design and then I've been into jujitsu and then I've been into entrepreneurship and a startup and I felt like every time I would leave one thing and get into the next I would also leave like people would just drift away after that because it was just so radically different I remember when I started doing Mm jujitsu my non-jujitsu friends were kind of just like what is that dumb thing that you do and they just wanted to kind of go out mainly just get fucked up and I did partake in a lot of that but also I'd be like oh I want to also wake up early and go train and then when i remember i started my startup a lot of jujitsu people i knew kind of like let's go to the tournament let's go train i was like i gotta work on my business and that sort of became another separation yeah yeah um i i definitely think like you know at least like in knowing you through jujitsu somebody who's taken it to a level high enough that you're coaching is somebody who is like incredibly had to have been incredibly passionate about it to take it to that level at a time yeah and it sounds like you're that type of person for everything like everything that you're into everything has an expiration date with me that's the concerning part the exception being media so far i i mean i started my youtube channel two and a half years ago almost three years ago and obviously we've been making like travel videos for a bunch of months and that's thankfully the first thing i've ever done in my life where i'm not like a couple years into it i'm like okay i'm kind of getting over this i see it as like like a rabbit hole I want to go down on. Mm. There's YouTuber Marquez Brownlee. And yeah, he, I, uh, I see his videos, yeah. He, he says one of his least favorite things when he gets into like an Uber or whatever and someone's like, what do you do? Is to, to try to explain what he does. When you get into an Uber and, you know, they're making small talk and like, yeah. what do you do? Huh. Is that like a source of anxiety for you? Like now I got to like explain this? Or do you just kind of go, I work in media and you just... <laughs> I, let it go no i i don't uh i i kind of welcome it you know it's it's kind of fun to i don't i don't know if it's fun or not but like to at least be able to describe it and to see people's reactions is, is usually kind of interesting kind of cool and most of the time like people are like oh yeah like they again they 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 don't realize that it's or they probably think i just do it as a hobby they probably think i'm i'm actually unemployed and like that's see that's more fun then they even ask less questions they're like okay but usually it'll trigger some sort of memory within them about professional wrestling as a child you Mm. know and so they'll they'll be like oh yeah stone cold steve austin i was really into that uh yeah he was great you know (laughs) like yeah yeah so usually it's it's that sort of thing and but in fact like um when I got my, when I get got my COVID booster shot, uh, this person asked me what I did. The person who administered the shot, and um, he asked me. Uh, so I told him pro wrestling podcasting. He's like, "You guys ever cover like MMA?" I'm like, uh, "A little bit. I don't really do it myself, but like we have people on the site." And then he told me that he trained jujitsu. Oh wow! He, he was like at one of the Gracie schools nearby. So we ended right. up talking about like you know grappling and you know Eddie Bravo and. Yeah, so it's more of a conversation starter for you than like a source of like uh, people are gonna. But I'm not as successful as as that YouTuber. Once you you are, you're gonna maybe you're gonna hate it. Once you're in the millions, you'd be like, cannot. You're like, I'm an Uber Eats delivery guy. Yeah, you're just gonna stop telling people about. So don't get that successful. Yeah, I've heard people talking about. I've I've heard Joe Rogan talking about it where he's like, I wish I was less famous, 
he's like it's a lot in of his people case, yeah i can i can see that in a lot of creators like independent creators case like fame is not necessarily a good thing and it's intrusive to their personal life and it's kind of a pain in the ass and they just want to have like a medium thing going yeah and not be so exposed where people know you totally yeah i i imagine in like joe rogan's case he's probably been like talking that way like talking to the guests that he's he's been having on for like years mm-hmm. but like maybe a bit more off the radar um but you know under the microscope like you you kind of have for better or worse like i think a responsibility to you de- well to, in his case he definitely has a responsibility to to make sure what he's broadcasting is you know airtight factual mm-hmm. um but he didn't have that same pressure probably when he was much smaller you know you're kind of speaking your mind you're not necessarily you're not like anderson cooper on the front lines you're kind of just being yourself mm-hmm. and if you get to a certain point in size which is very hard to control it just sort of happens over time do you feel like now you have to be like more cautious with what you say and it's going to affect the way you naturally are on the show yeah uh I, I we're nowhere near like you know where that level is and and maybe at some at some point someday we'll we'll be lucky enough to to grow our business to, to that level but even at where we're at now it's something we're very conscious of you know yeah. I, I i've always said like anytime i why i love podcasting is because it it, it this like it, it feels like it's just two friends mm-hmm. in a room having mm-hmm. a conversation that you know is private but like, of course, we, we know is being recorded, but we also it feels it feels very similar to the type of conversation we would have if the cameras were off. Yeah, that's those are my that's my favorite type of podcasting when it when it's not overproduced, when we don't have to hit a, a, a commercial break. Yeah. You know, when we don't have to watch ourselves. But it would also be really stupid for me to think that I could just say whatever I want right. you know, when people are listening. So um, I think we're, we're very John, John and I, like we talk about this. I think we're very aware of, of like, you know, people that are listening to us. Um, but at the same time, like, I think, I don't know, in our private lives, like, I don't, I don't think we get that outrageous either. Um, at least maybe <laughs> not like not, not so outrageous that I think we, we'd be embarrassed. Right. So it's it's you you definitely have to have a level of like policing yourself to make sure that what you're saying is you know as clear as possible but also like you know something that you would be confident in having published um and put into a potential transcript or having dug up you know 30 years from now like we're especially conscious of that of course you know in in modern times have you ever said anything on a show where you felt like oh why did i say maybe i don't fully believe that or maybe i didn't think that through has that ever happened sometimes yeah yeah um i'm i mean i've I've been podcasting for like 12 plus years we're gonna dig some shit up oh i'm gonna go through the twitter please, (laughs) please please yeah but like i'm sure there is but honestly like most of the time i record something i I just kind of forget about it i i don't have much of a strong memory um but if there's something really bad then we'll probably like cut it out right Mm. it's a lot tougher now because we're we're doing a lot live but you know it just means we have to try to edit as we're talking but part of like podcasting and part of part of broadcasting is like you kind of have to trust your your mouth and your brain to kind of go on autopilot Okay. So like sometimes like your mouth and your vocal cords are moving faster than what your your filter in your brain is, oh, is doing. Oh, yeah, I've I've had that happen. Yeah, yeah. Um so you have to kind of 
and and that I think I think part of the trick of like being a an eloquent elo- eloquent broadcaster and speaker is to not get caught up in that is to like either you know take the time to think before you say it or I think faster before before you you know so that you're sure what you want to say is what you want to say yeah it's a tough balancing act because you want to be yourself you want to be authentic Mm -hmm. but also you're like in real private conversations people work through their ideas in the conversation and towards the end they might change your perspective on something based on what the other person said but when you're broadcasting especially when you're doing live stuff like you guys are you might i mean you're doing it on the fly you might say things certain things that maybe just sound odd or you're kind of like actually i've changed my stance on that but now that it's out there it's you know it's very hard to control yeah totally totally and and that happens all the time like you know like surprisingly in in the space of professional wrestling alone there are there are a lot of sensitive issues that, that really? get brought up politically yeah for instance like you know the wwe has a 10-year agreement with the kingdom of saudi arabia mm. uh where they're basically paid a lot of money to put on shows there and in in what you know a lot of um i think critics um are calling or call a, an example of sport washing which is basically like their government you know paying a lot of money for entertainment acts uh sporting acts to come over to their country to make the country seem more progressive than it actually is to cover up for a lot of its you know uh crimes against humanity and, to put it lightly <laughs> yeah so like we we've done a number of of, of episodes about it but um Sorry, I'm I'm kind of getting away from uh, from what we were talking about. No, no, this is I kind of wanted to segue into that um, because I'm just I'm just curious now that you're kind of branching out into different kinds of content. Obviously, you're doing pro wrestling for so long. The wellness thing is it's like a new thing you're trying. And we had talked privately over Messenger about other potential things that you'd want to try. But do you ever feel like now that you're expanding, like do you feel like you need to start talking about more? I guess real world issues outside of like the select few mm. things that you talk about whether it's political whether it's social social business mm. or whatever it is you feel that i never feel the need to like mm. if the, the reason i think why i started the pot uh, the wellness policy with with my friend jordan is because um i i had these private conversations with jordan and i i thought you know it i thought he was really good like I thought the conversations were really good and I felt like there was a way that we would be able to justify putting this out as part of, you know, our, our growing community that's interested in hearing us talk about more than just professional wrestling. It, I think it's also important to create that dialogue with your audience where they understand not everything I say is going to be something I'll stand by 30 years from now. Yeah. You know, like we're human. We're, yeah. we're, we're like, you know, we, we say stupid shit just like anybody else. So especially when you make that much content. Like you're not making one thing a year. Yeah. You're not making one thing a month. Like I remember when I went on Dragon's Den, that was my first time speaking on camera ever. I was so scared. I like rehearsed my thing and recorded it with my iPhone so many times because I was just straight up terrified. And I'm like, I'm not gonna mess up a single word. And now I'm imagining speaking every single day, multiple times a day. It just like opens you up to I guess saying so many things that maybe- Yeah, it does. Someone might take the wrong way or mm. might be misconstrued in some way. Yeah, yeah. What, what are you going to do, though? Like, you know, yeah. like, program yourself so that you're a robot, so that you don't say anything interesting. Right. Which is how you end up with, like, late-night talk shows and newscasters. People that feel fake. They don't feel yeah. like someone... They don't feel like someone that's a friend that you're listening to, like, a friend totally. have a conversation. Completely, completely. Yeah. 
So I think, like, you can only, I don't know, police yourself so much. Obviously, police yourself so that you're not, like, saying something completely offensive and, and stupid. But I have, I, have, I have to, I give people listening a lot more credit, you know, to, to be able to just, you know, be able to separate whether or not somebody is saying something to be truly offensive or if they're just, you know, I don't know, just, I don't know, being, being themselves and having fun. Yeah. I, this is why I wanted to ask you this because a million people have an opinion on this, but you actually do this as a job. Mm-hmm. And this is why, like, what you say carries weight for me because a lot of the podcasting stuff has been in the news. You've probably seen it. Like, podcasting is, like I mentioned earlier, this, like, hot thing. Like, Spotify's buying podcasts. Apple's buying them. Amazon. Like, everyone's scooping them up. Everyone's trying to do it. And more podcasters have been getting into the news for, like, things that they've said in the past whatever jokes they made, whatever guests they've had, it's just mm-hmm. across the board. Do you, What do you think is the right way to approach it if you're a, a podcasting company? Um, should people be regulated like what they say on a microphone in their studio, in their bedroom? Like where is the line for this is an art form, like you said, and... People are just going to say what they're going to say, or should yeah. people be more? Should podcasters be more regulated in this case? Yeah. Uh, well, what what does regulation look like? Are we talking about like a governing body of like podcasts? That sounds stupid. Yeah, that sounds <laughs> terrible. You know, yeah. part of the the great thing about the internet is is the fact that there isn't that sort of regulation, uh, for better or worse. You know, I I, I will say because there's a lot of terrible stuff on the internet. Oh yeah. But, but you know, like a lot of the great like to me it's like it, it's it's kind of fun navigating the wild west and I, I i i certainly wouldn't want to have to submit my podcast to a governing body every single time right like the freedom of this mm-hmm. format is is its appeal all that said though like we are a podcast network like post wrestling and i have expectations of ourselves and of the people that we allow on our network to conduct themselves in a professional way in a responsible way where they're not spreading false information or, or slandering people uh, or saying anything that'll really em- embarrass us. So in terms of regulating, I ha- I certainly have those expectations and I wouldn't be shy about like, you know, going back and taking a show off or editing a show because I didn't feel like it represented our, 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 our network well. Um, and if you're Spotify or if you're like any of these other companies, if you feel that same pressure, if they're paying, you know, like a Joe Rogan to, to do that, of course, I think they have a right. Um, yeah, I certainly didn't like advocate for a, a government body to have to submit your podcast to and all that. I think what you were saying with the Internet, like the whole point is it is more free than like traditional gatekeepers and all that. These are just conversations that are going on right now because people do ask like, where is the the line you know mm-hmm. and i agree that there is a line somewhere like mm-hmm. if people are advocating for like violence against a particular group on their podcast if they're like re- doxing people like revealing their address and all that doing certain like nefarious activities i'm not gonna be insane and just be like we should allow everything but it seems like it's just i guess a controversial issue right now certainly and it's hard to define yeah like it really is and and you have to speak in a lot of general generalities because there, there's there are as many podcasts as there are people with computers and microphones and, and voices so yeah how, how are you going to have one set of rules for all of that mm-hmm. you know? yeah it's getting crazy you you guys have been like diversifying 
your podcast you obviously have you know a site you have a patreon you have certain social media um and i'm guessing you know for everyone not just you the the goal is to not rely on any one thing for your Mm. livelihood yeah do you think a site like patreon like a crowdfunding site where you have your community directly supporting you and what you do do you think that's like basically the future for content creators for independent small creators Mm. um yeah i do i certainly do yeah, uh, we we've been uh, I I think an act that has been really lucky to have found um, like a sustain sustainable income through community support on Patreon. When we started this like four years ago, we left you know uh, like a like an employer like our our, our the Fight Network our, our, our TV station, and uh, into nowhere else that I think would. Like we, we basically, you know, started to operate our own business and it only became sustainable because we had so many people willing to pay $6 a month to listen to us. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, what I found is that a lot of those people aren't necessarily like because I, what I thought what I always thought was like, well, it's it's a value exchange. You know, how are we going to make the $6 worthwhile for them to want to buy? But a lot of those people that uh, subscribe to us are simply doing it out of goodwill. Because they like right. what we do, because they, you know, have been with us for so long, and they're extremely loyal to like the stuff that we do, and they they just want to support the hard work, and that to me is like one of the best things about something like Patreon is, a lot of other like, the, yeah, it's like subscriptions, sure, like you're getting free stuff in exchange, but I think a lot of people it it tends to promote a culture of like, um, generosity, or at least like somebody feeling like you know. I don't, I'm not expected to give money to this person. They don't really ask that of me, but because I see so much value in what they do for me for free, I'm going to choose to give them something. Yeah. Uh, and that to me goes completely against, I think, what I grew up with the internet as, where it was all about like stealing music and like stealing movies. <laughs> and just like, screw you, like, hey, F you on this message board. Yeah, the know? old line wire days. Yeah. Uh, and where everybody is mean on the internet, but I Which mean... Which is still a big subset of the internet. Very much but so. But it seems but. like people have found a way to now attract their own audience and kind of just have that group of people supporting them rather than having to rely on like as many eyeballs as possible so they can get advertisers, so they can be more mainstream, mm-hmm. so that they can be accepted by big platforms. Mm-hmm. It, it does seem to be shifting more towards the independent creator. And I'm a big fan of Patreon. Like I support a few creators on Patreon. I, I personally as well think something like that is the future, whether it's them or someone else, because I've realized, I've noticed just over the last few years, even on YouTube, because a lot of big like mainstream advertisers are coming to YouTube over the past 10 years, they have expectations too for like what kind of content they're willing to sponsor, uh, what they find acceptable, what they think people will like. And people that do what you do, they're like, well, I don't, you know, I don't care what, squarespace likes you know i want to do what my audience likes and so it's it's crazy to have these platforms now where you can actually do that like that was not a thing years ago like people would rely maybe some like paypal donations or a brand deal or whatever and now it's like yeah it's a total game changer for Mm -hmm. sure like and and i i mean i i like obviously i like patreon because like you know we 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 are like we make our living through them but um it's a real ridiculously, I think, simple idea, and even technically, I feel like their infrastructure is relatively simple. Mm-hmm. That um, 
a lot of people like you know and there are competitors that have popped up but i think patreon has done such a good job of branding itself now mm -hmm. as sort of like when you say patreon to it to somebody in the audience you know exactly what, what it is yeah um that there's sort of like the kleenex of you know the these sort of stuff right right everything yeah. is patreon the way my mom calls every game system in nintendo <laughs> yeah much, that's yeah. gonna be uh so we talked about this briefly, like in private, but you were talking about like expanding your sources of revenue to not have to like rely on any one particular thing. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's been merch, it's been Patreon, it's been ads. Like what, what are you thinking if you're like down to, to mention it? Yeah. What are you thinking is like feasible things in the future that people like you or like really any small creators could do? Yeah, well, I think I think the core of our business is always going to be, you know, the podcast mm -hmm. and um, getting an audience, you know, interested enough to support us through um, something like a Patreon for, you know, um, like maybe some exclusive podcasts. I, I think for the most part, it's, it's just about continuing to do like good work that is of service to our audience. Um, I think that's the, the main thing. Uh, to me, like having stuff like, you know, a merch store or having um, uh, like we started running ads on our podcast, for mm -hmm. instance, like just kind of automated ads like at the top and tail. And, and we're very careful about like what, what gets through. Like we turn off like most like so many of these those categories that mm -hmm. that get put up. But it's 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 another source of, of, of added revenue that that's coming in. Um, but I, I think it'll still always, you know, be the content itself. It'll be be the podcasting um everything else is just kind of a bonus yeah yeah it's true i guess that is like the main thing that you enjoy and that you're good at and bigger companies have like business people that come in and try to figure out new things but when you're the person doing the podcast you kind of just want to focus on the main thing right that you're yeah. good at um yeah. and you so i, I want to go back to the wellness policy a bit sure because i yeah. think it's really cool um and it's an interesting like addition that you guys chose to the show because of this like loyal audience that you have were there other like types of content you've been playing with with the idea of trying out or getting into um because there's a lot of stuff you could do obviously yeah yeah no i i think it's so cool that you're you're interested in in, in that show because like for me it's still like a bit of a niche project that um is that i'm doing for a small group of people, mm -hmm. um, but I, I know that there's there's a there's at least some craving for for more of that type of stuff out there. So it's something I'm definitely hoping to, to grow. We we've got um, in the same vein, like we had two of our, our listeners and contributors, Dave and Bruce, recently come to us wanting to start a podcast where they interviewed fellow members of the community. Mm -hmm. We call it Postmarks, um, and and it's it's great. I love it because like it's it's a chance to spotlight, you know, like people who have been in our community, callers, listeners that have been around. We only get to really hear from for like two minutes a week, if that. Um, but I get to kind of I get to learn about them. I get to learn about their life stories and their mm -hmm. ambitions and their families and their careers. So that's something I really enjoy. But for the most part, like in us choosing what to put, what to add to the schedule it's just about like what we want to do like what i i want to talk about you know what... right it's more about what you truly want to do versus like if say people in your audience were like hey we want you to start vlogging like is right. that where you draw the line you're like i'm not if if i wasn't it's... interested in it yeah i wouldn't do it because i it would be a, ch a chore and it would be awful like it, it would <laughs> suck right if, if if for some reason like you know it demanded it uh like the 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 genre demanded it mm -hmm. and 
and I, if I took an interest in in its creation, then yeah. But um, for the most part, like I, I'm I'm lucky enough to be able to say like there are a few boxes. Number one, like the box is, do people want it? And the second box is, do I want it? Mm-hmm. And and both of those things have to be yes. And and number three is okay. Can I find a co-host to be able to do this with, right. with me to a substantial level? So yeah, because you, you've been doing like audio and broadcasting for so long. Um, were you ever interested in like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to figure out filmmaking. I'm gonna make more. I don't know. I'm gonna vlog wrestling event events. I'm gonna make short films. Is that something you ever had like interest? Just in? something more in the visual medium. Yeah, yeah. Was that yeah. something you ever explored? Um, not since we started post wrestling because like, post wrestling is my my background is is in uh, I would say more like videography, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm what we do is pretty much news. Mm-hmm. And because there's news is so fast, mm-hmm. is so immediate, and it's so constant, there's no time to like sit back and be like and, and work on a documentary. Right, right, you know, yeah. Like, there's no time to sit back and and do something longer term and and, and planned. Um, so I haven't even had a chance to think about it because I mean the job is just keeping up with like you know everything that's happening. That makes sense. Like if you have a thing that's working, you know why mess with it? I the re- yes. one of the reasons I asked this is uh, I've, I've gotten to meet a couple other creators who like do this you know seriously, and they've said a similar thing that they also do things that are very topical. They're based on new things coming out, and one of them was like man, I wish I could do other stuff I find interesting. One of them, like, I wish I could get into comedy, but I do a thing that is so different from that, that A, I don't have the time so I have to keep this up. And I'm like, I'm worried my audience won't like it. Mm. They'll be like, what is this? This is not why we came here. Have you ever felt like things that you, like when you start doing the wellness, you're like, is my audience going to care? I always feel about that this? way. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm always like so self-conscious about like how many people want to hear this how many people want to hear me talk about wrestling i'm not a former wrestler like what the hell like what what, what, do, what do i have to say that's insightful about this stuff so like when it came time to like start you know like uh, the wellness policy or a marvel review i mean i i i i ask myself all the time like do people care about this and you know one of the great things about at least you know uh, some, something like a patreon is the fact that um it filters your most dedicated audience into one place mm-hmm. and that audience most likely if they like hearing you talk about one thing there's a very good chance they like hearing you talk about your other passion mm. as long as you can speak about it passionately and as long as you can provide you know some some level of like i don't know more interesting deeper insight um they're will probably be some some somebody willing to check it out mm. and and it turns out like at least for you know those the two shows i mentioned talking about like marvel movies and talking about um uh like t- the wellness policy which is for me like it, it's kind of like much of it centers around mental health but for me like i'm no expert at all in mental health my co-host is for me it's just about like personal growth that i i I've, i'm personally always been interested in and having a an excuse to like you know read a book like atomic habits or to really think about a topic and have a conversation about a topic that was what interested mm-hmm. me yeah that makes sense people are just invested in you as a person and now if you do like a tv or a movie review they're also down for that mm-hmm. which is kind of what you want like I, I feel like you whatever you choose to go into like you said as long as you care about it uh 
counting. Like, like if you, that might be, let's draw the counting. line. We might have to draw. If you, if you did like an April Fool's accounting episode just to fuck with people, I, I think that'd be pretty funny. Well, I don't even know how an accounting podcast would sound like. People, you bring in, you bring in, and you bring in an accountant yeah. who, who doesn't who's not in on well, the joke. Interview our accountant. Good yeah, idea. that'd be pretty funny. Yeah, man. Um, so you, you talked about um, you you had like a videography background. Mm-hmm. Um, you do a lot of stuff with people. I've noticed like you you're really good at like letting your guests speak i've seen a lot of podcast hosts that are just like they have a guest on and then like they don't shut the fuck up and people are like can you can you let the guy speak like you really let your guests like express themselves and you kind of you do a good job like creating the flow of the conversation um have you ever felt like you want to do something separate like on your own like do you or do you mainly like doing stuff with people and i say on your own like there's a lot of podcasts there's youtube channels where people kind of do commentary directly to the camera they talk Mm -hmm. directly to an audience when they do a review or whatever that is which is not based on anyone's schedule it's just what you like or do you still firmly kind of feel like i like doing stuff with people yeah that's really interesting uh well thank you first of all because like i'll say for me like interviewing somebody is something something i'm still not comfortable doing like i think i think you're you're doing a great job and, and oh thanks i'm there. making this up literally as we go <laughs> you probably have have like had more experience than me at this point because like for me i've I, I i definitely still consider myself very much somebody behind the scenes like i'm way more comfortable how can you be behind the scene? you've been i've yeah. seen people holding pictures of your face at <laughs> events you're not a behind the scenes guy I, it's just kind of my roots you know like and, and even like doing the technical stuff is like something i'm way more comfortable doing so um doing leading the interview like it's one thing being in the interview with john leading it but doing mm-hmm. it myself is something i'm so incredibly incredibly like um self-conscious about and and and, and i find a real challenge I, why, I why do you feel self-conscious doing it because uh, it's just it's so much responsibility to like you know have to steer the conversation in the right way you know like you are you're driving the ship and if like there's a lulling conversation, it's up to you. You're it's like, up I'm to- fucking it up. I gotta fill the gap. I gotta fill <laughs> yeah. the silence. You have to do all the research, you know, to 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 make sure that you <clears throat> ask the right questions. And again, you're doing a fantastic job. Thank you. Um, so so to me, it's like a different level of pressure. And and like for me, I, you know. I, I'm prone to getting too much in my head thinking about my next question, thinking about mm. like, oh, am I covering this? How much time is it? Like, is you know, is the camera looking right? I'm exactly like, the same way, man. I think that's why one of the reasons we connect. And I've struggled with that for so long that I ended up signing up for an improv course just before COVID mm-hmm. at Second City. It was like an eight-week course. Cool. And it's just taught me how fucking in my head I am, how much I am like queuing up the next question, even with like normal conversation. Yeah how like not present I was. And it's it has helped me out just being more in the moment. Like I remember being in an improv exercise and one of my, my improv partner looked at me and she's like, you're fucking cheating. I see you pre-thinking of the thing, like in your oh, eyes. And I'm like, fuck I am. Wow. And, and that's really helped me out because I was the same way. Like I, I was just like, I wasn't comfortable with silence. And I was like, oh no, am I saying the right thing? Will these people be upset if I don't lead it in the right way? And I just realized, like, I just have to stop caring as much. That is so interesting. I never even thought about it in those terms, you know? Like, just kind of getting out of your head and being present for something even... It's easier said than done. And it doesn't always work. Like, sometimes I am just... My mind is elsewhere. I'm, like, anxiously thinking, like, the next thing to say. But I've lately... 
what I felt is probably what you felt for years because you're an actual pro is this stuff is just becomes a job at a certain point. And, and I've stopped being like, this is so precious. Every yeah. word has to be correct. Everything has to be perfect. Even with my, my, my vlogs or my, my podcasts, it's, it's like, I've stopped taking it seriously. Have you, have you had that moment where you're like, this ain't that special? Yes and no. I mean, I definitely still take, take my job seriously. But I think one of the great things about our pace and the constant repetition of doing the show so so frequently, we went from doing like one show a week when we started to now where I think I'm doing like we're doing twice a day, three, three to four times a week uh, and then a daily show on top of it. So I feel like I'm doing something like, you know, 15 podcasts a week. And uh, I guess <laughs> we, we got a guest in the room anyway. So um, when you do it so often, it's natural for you to not worry so much about your little screw up on one show because you're about to record again the next week. Mm. So and I don't, I don't think your audience minds a whole lot either. You start to understand you might have screwed up completely for this one episode. Well, next one is just another that's that's what I meant yourself. by not taking it seriously. Yeah. Not that you're like slacking and fucking around but more like you're not worried like oh i messed this up someone's gonna someone's gonna point it out and people just don't even notice it's it's good it's good and bad in that like if you feel like you've had a really good show people might just kind of ignore it or forget about it or (laughs) might not even listen to it because you got another one coming the next week anyway but when you when you feel like you've had a bad show or like you know when you don't feel like your points are that good or you're sleepy or you stuttered a lot I mean, the next one's just around the corner. What would you say makes you feel like you had a bad show? Like, what would you count as a bad show? For me, it would be like, maybe if I I, I didn't feel fully prepared, uh, if I felt like I, maybe, you know, my words weren't eloquently expressed. Um, or if, you know, I just wasn't into the conversation for whatever reason, like maybe my mood was off. And that happens all the time when you're recording. Like every you're, you're what? My mood. Oh, your mood. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Well, would you? Would I you thought, think that's <laughs> my, my, never mind. I heard something totally else. My my mood, and I was like, shit. Is this a podcaster term? I don't know. Like, my is this like, is this like an industry term? No, no, yeah. What the hell would be a mood like? I thought it was like mojo. Like I, I, <laughs> no, I heard like something completely different. So you're yeah, you're you're like lower energy. You're not feeling. Yeah. What is if being I was said. upset about something or if like I you know, like Yeah. Sometimes like John and I will get into an argument about something so stupid on a podcast that like you could see us get heated about something really? and it kinda of throws them the rest of the podcast off sometimes. Damn. But something about about something so stupid, right? Like in wrestling. I guess that happens when you're you're in that kind of industry. I've heard uh Conan O'Brien talk about this and he does, you know, he did like a daily show obviously for many, many years. He does podcasting now. I don't know if you've heard his podcast conan Sometimes. needs a friend it's yeah. it's really good he's it's like better than his late night show that's awesome but, but he one of the things he said that you just said and reminded me of it is it's really hard to do such a frequent show when you have things in your personal life going on when you might right. be sick he's talked about doing that talk show with a flu you know when you have a death in the family when mm-hmm. you've just gotten into an argument with your partner mm-hmm. like that has happened to me and I'm, i've because I'm so inexperienced doing this, it like completely throws everything off. And I feel so bad about myself that like, I let this thing bother me. And now I'm like, visibly angry on the show. Like people mm-hmm. I've had to like things I couldn't put out because people would be like, this motherfucker is just angry on the show. Like what mm-hmm. is going on? How have you had that happen to you? And how do you how do you deal with it when you have like a regular show like that? Yeah, I, I'm sure john and I especially john with like two infants at home, like he he 
he's probably had shows where he felt he's felt incredibly tired and i have too um but something like really interesting has been happening uh, like recently where i feel like i think i'm in such a groove doing it that even when i'm tired like for instance watching the wrestling i'm reviewing by the time it's uh, like time to go on air like i can snap back into it and i have really like, crazy energy wow yeah. and like i find like you know like my thinking is clear and like even like in re-talking about the show that i just watched like feeling very tired like i'm i'm able to um maybe kind of have you know thoughts and realizations that are way more clear than they were the first time um you know like way back like i had my first you know like like i had i had a major breakup actually like years ago on a show night so like it was like one of those instances where like it was like you know terrible terrible event and then like having to go home and having to watch raw and having to broadcast that night and you know for me it was like a great distraction like to not have to focus on life and to strictly focus on the job of like watching this wrestling show and talking about this wrestling show really so it actually kind of helped that's interesting you say that i had a bad breakup and i had to teach jujitsu class the next morning and i remember mm -hmm. dragging my ass into that and yeah briefly it kind of disappeared i didn't expect it to like i never tried to get someone to cover it they couldn't i was like fuck i gotta go in and that involves a lot of talking, a lot of presenting. You have to like show technique, answer questions. Did you enjoy coaching? Um, when I started, I did. And then after a few years, I, I no longer did. Mm. I, I just, it's not what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. I felt very limited. Um, it's just a thing. It's, I've always been like, sounds really lame, like a trier. Like I like to try things, like try new or things. Or somebody gets bored. Someone gets bored. I find like my brain's always seeking stimulation, right. and, and that's uh, partially like a disease. I think I don't have a name for it. No, it's I, a gift. There, well, there are people that don't have that, and they're able to do one thing extraordinarily well and create wealth for themselves doing that. And I've always been bouncing from one thing to the next, which uh, has not always worked out for me. Maybe and you're just looking for that thing that's like I am, yeah. More dynamic. And, and than like the well this is even this is like one of the things I've enjoyed more than anything, really, so mm -hmm. far, which I never thought I would do. But all those other things like jujitsu all like steps along the way. So I ask because like I, I wonder if, you know, like whether or not you find an escape in doing the thing, um, does that come down to how much you actually enjoy doing the thing? That's yeah. interesting. I don't know. Is it an escape or do I have like a true passion for it? I made this video on my channel a few months ago before I went on this trip across the country, uh, basically about like, what is, what is passion and how do you find it? Like, where is it? Who produces it? How do I get some of it? Because I've never related to people that are super passionate about a thing. I always had a, like a deep interest in things. Like, Isn't that a passion? What's, what's the difference? I have an interest in, for example, design. Like I was a User, user experience designer at a tech company. Mm -hmm. I appreciate it. I think it's good. Am I passionate about it? Like, would I be on my deathbed being like, I should have designed more apps? I don't <laughs> think so. I just don't. I don't know if anybody would say that. Like, okay, well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of curious. Like, I'm curious about how you draw the line between, you know, extreme interests, which you <laughs> seem to have, and passion. Does passion necessarily mean, you know, somebody on their deathbed will say that, 
because I certainly don't feel like on my deathbed I'm going to say I would like I love podcasting about this edition of Bra from May third, two thousand fifteen. Like you're not going to be like I wish I did more shows. I wish I talked more. I don't think so. No, I like, think after a certain point, maybe you won't. You can enjoy something. You could enjoy your job, but like not ha- have it necessarily be such an extreme. You can be passionate about something and not have it be you know something that extreme. Yeah, here's what I think it is to to answer that question is like. I, I grew up like my family immigrated here. We did not have any money uh, for a long time. You know, at one point we were on welfare and money has always been a, a source of anxiety in my family because, you know, when you have it, you don't really think about it. Yeah. And everything's always been about what's going to be profitable, what's going to make you money, what's going to be stable, what's going to be secure. And I think the difference between passion and interest for me is an interest for me eventually has to start making money. Eventually, not right away. But if there's no hope for it to be a good living for me, my brain literally is like, you can stay, but I'm out of here. It floats away, like in like in that Simpsons episode, it's just it's gone. And I think that's what happened in jujitsu. You can pay twenty bucks to teach a class. You know, it's not any kind of money you can do anything with. And after a few years of it, I'm like, I don't have health insurance. Like I can barely pay my rent. Mm-hmm. Uh, the passion it, it seeps out of your body. It yeah. like dissipates. Now, if you had another career in jujitsu with something on the side, would you feel that same way? Like if you had a stable job that you were earning an income from? <clears throat> maybe at the time, maybe. I just didn't. Uh, later on, I, I had a job and I started a business, but at the time I didn't. Uh, it's it's hard to say. I, I guess I tried. A lot of the more, more mainstream advice about finding your passion is people say, well, what would you do if money wasn't an issue, if you could do a thing for free? And I realized like I would be just a slug if I if I didn't have to do anything for money, I would literally lay there with my Nintendo Switch, yeah. with like a beer. Yeah. Uh, God knows what I would do. It's, I think for some, for some people, it's not a productive question. Do you, like, my, my wife is the same. Like, if, if she had, had it her way, like, she would, like, sleep all day. She loves sleeping. She's in love with it. I Would you honestly, though, like, say, like, if you spent your whole day on the couch, like, isn't there a part of you that feels like you're you're wasting your 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 energy or like wasting your your passion or wasting whatever? Like, don't you? Isn't there a joy in being productive? There is. I would I would change it up. This is with the if we're talking about the sick fantasy, right? This is with the assumption I have money too, and I would change it up. I would do jujitsu once a week, and I would travel somewhere once a week. And I'd see friends once a week and I'd disperse my, I wouldn't be like the slug 24 seven, but I would just kind of spread it out and do other things. Uh, but that doesn't make money. I, I agree. If I was just on the couch, like I'm kind of half joking, but if I was just on the couch, I would be you know, bored to death. I, I like media. I think this is one of the things I've liked the most because it feels the most effortless for me. Like we both done jujitsu and we know how hard it is. Like at the end of a round, like you're heaving, you're tired. I've never been tired at the end of a conversation. I've never been tired at the end of a podcast. Oh, it's energizing. Like, yeah, I'm like, um, I feel more a- awake yeah. towards the end, which I think is a good sign yeah. because every everything else I've done before, like when I was running my startup and I'd just be dealing with problems all day, at the end of the day, I'm like, mm-hmm. fuck, man, I don't want to, I don't know if I can do this anymore. Mm-hmm. Like I'd sit down to play Xbox and I'd get a call and it's like, Hey, uh, the fucking the water shut off. The building broke down. Like I would just there'd be something, and I'm like, mm-hmm. this isn't energizing. And I realize that most of the things that most of the things I've picked up 
was with the intention to make enough money doing them so that I never have to do the things ever again. Right. Which is not a, I don't think it's like a sustainable way to live. Imagine you were like, my life goal is to siphon enough Patreon money out of these people so that I <laughs> never have to speak into a microphone ever again. Yeah. It would no. be, maybe when you're like retired, you're like, I'm done, yeah. you know, but imagine you were thinking like that now, it'd probably a sign that, that's not the thing for you. Yeah. And, and don't get me wrong. Like, there are days where, like, I don't want to watch wrestling or talk about wrestling. Are you allowed to say that on camera? Like, if people going to yeah. if people see that, are going to be like, hold on. Especially, way. like, on, on uh, some of the quality of, like, WWE these days. Like, the audience, it, it was something that's really strange is that, like, we always thought the only people that would listen to our recap shows are people that watch the show and want to hear people talk about it. What's happening more and more is people are so fed up with the WWE product that they're choosing not to watch it instead just listening to us do the recap. Oh, really? To inform them. So, yeah, we say this all the time. Like, there are days where we don't want to do it. That makes sense. But, I guess that's every job. Like, there are fighters, days they don't want to train, they yeah, don't want to fight. Yeah. But I will say, like, even though I don't want to watch a thing, I'm always happy talking about it. And I'm always happy, like, you know, afterwards doing it. Um, but, you know... Uh, it's like you're going to have good days and you're going to have bad days with anything, no matter how much you like something. At some point, something is going to feel like a job. You're going to have to do some sort of accounting level type of stuff in mm-hmm. order to facilitate the thing that you, you want to do. Um, but it's, you know, it's it, it's all worthwhile if, you know, at the end, like you feel like you're, you're getting to do something that you like. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's it's rare. I mean, what you what you have and I'm happy for you and how well it's gone because uh Thanks, i mean man. i think you guys do a lot lot better like it's just gonna keep growing and growing um yeah likewise you've clearly found people to connect with that connect with how you think mm-hmm. and the internet's such a big place that it's like it's hard to kind of put up that flair and attract those people like that obviously took a lot of time for you for someone who's like starting out like me like anybody who's like I want to talk to people, I want to do a show, I want to do pop culture, current events, sports, like whatever it is, like how do they get over this fear that whatever they say is just they're not going to connect with anybody. People are not going to care. It's just mm. the millionth voice, a millionth yeah. voice screaming into the void. Like I find that is the number one fear with a lot of people right the idea that like well what do i have to add to the conversation yeah like who gives a shit who's gonna find me and i have those thoughts every day yeah um like what would you tell that person i have those thoughts every day (laughs) like again like what what the fuck am i doing you know broadcasting my opinion about this thing that i you know like i mean i'm a fan that's it really right and i i i i don't know if i have advice other than to get good at it and be consistent that is the number one thing that i've learned from working with john is just like setting a time for when your show is going to drop and sticking to it sticking to it as long as possible um i think if you are good i feel like it's it's you know you will get discovered 
of course it helps having some sort of connection with people with an established fan base with an established audience that's how we became we built our following we piggybacked our show off of the live audio wrestling show we were a part of that whole network right we helped grow that network as well but like by the time it came time to do our own thing we had already established an audience and it's something i want to do for other people too that's why like you know i i like trying to grab people to be a part of our network to be able to share some of our platform and grow the grow the entire thing so that's that's i think something else that's also pretty important in podcasting um that can help is potentially networking with like-minded um uh, uh, shows of a, of a genre or at least like-minded content creators of, of, the, of the genre and collaborating somehow or at least being able to share or at least advertising your show having guests on having guests from other podcasts on to i think um talk about a topic and, and in turn maybe getting a bit of extra publicity for for your show is really helpful um I also want to go back to maybe like, you know, you've been very flattering talk, talking to me on, on this uh, podcast, Roman, as like, you know, you talking to me as somebody who feel, it, I get the sense like you want to have a similar type of career, like doing this sort of thing. And but I, I want to convey the fact that this has been unconscious for me. Like, mm. I have not, like, I never set a goal to be, like, I want to be a content, full-time content creator. I never set a goal to be, like, you know, saying, I want to host a podcast full-time. Um, I've I've really kind of largely fallen into this because it just, you know, for, for me, like, everything I've done in my career has just been, like, taking advantage of the next opportunity and, and following the next step and really just kind of, like... Um, maybe just doing my best at like what's been presented to me at the moment. And, and thankfully that's managed to attract people to work with like, like John and um, you know, the two of us just again, continuing to pursue the next opportunity when we got let go. I mean, our next opportunity was to try to find a way to continue cultivating the audience that we had built up as part of the fight network. And that just happened to be, you know, through starting our own thing through Patreon and um it, it just kind of snowballs from there so i would just say like just follow what you're enjoying and and i i mean i i guess goal setting is important to it to an extent but um at least i've been pretty lucky in in just you know following like and doing the best of of, of what's presented to me to to my best ability that must have been very like i guess scary when you guys got let go and you're trying to build your own thing like how long was that gap before you you kind of like didn't know like is this something we're gonna keep doing or we're gonna have to find jobs there, there was no gap because even prior to leaving to being let go at the fight network we weren't happy there like mm. it wasn't a job that was growing certainly financially like i probably hadn't had a raise in like you know several years by that point mm -hmm. um the industry at that point kind of felt like a bit of a dead end we were seeing a lot of our colleagues getting let go so I think like John and I legitimately had a meeting like the weekend prior us being let go about our, our an exit strategy. Like we were having talks about that for actually weeks and if not months. Um, so we were set to leave if something didn't happen. Uh, like if something didn't get better. And thankfully they made the decision for us. And thankfully we got a decent severance package coming out of it, which we mm -hmm. wouldn't have had if we quit. That's true. And uh, that gave us like a really nice cushion to, you know, make our plan before fully launching. I mean, that night we immediately still like, 
even though we no no, no longer had access to the podcast feed that we mm-hmm. we we had uh we had the audience we had social media so like immediately it was just like let's do a show tonight wow you guys just did it just and did a it. bunch of people came over yeah like people like immediately jumped jumped on um, that's insane and we were the ones setting up all the stuff anyway we were the ones in charge of all the technology so we knew how to like put a show together we know how to mm-hmm. like you know mm-hmm. and everything was like, we didn't even have a web host so like we just like went on archive.org and uploaded yeah. the shows and we did that for a good you know two three months before we fully launched yeah i remember you, that's around when we met up and you had questions about like starting up a business oh, okay was there ever any any risk like oh, are we allowed to do this like did anything come of that did the there fight network say something i don't think there was any quest risk about like not being able to talk about pro wrestling right <laughs> you're like banned for life no especially <laughs> talking about pro especially because we were let go like i don't think there was any like, non-compete or anything like that mm-hmm. um the only questions were well what can we keep in terms of like the names of our shows and the answer was we we couldn't keep it we didn't even try like whatever yeah like, it's the name of a podcast right the the other thing that was questionable was whether or not we could talk about impact wrestling because that happened to be a wrestling company owned by the company that used to employ us oh interesting so in our line of work we have to be critical about the shows and you know would they be ups or at least like is there any sort of legal ramification about like talking about one of their properties mm-hmm. um even though like we were doing it before freely and in fact like we had that written in our severance contracts that we would be able to freely talk about and criticize um that wrestling company that's good yeah it's it's crazy how it all worked out and now you're rocking the post wrestling hat which is which is cool um my the the last thing i want to ask you is uh use your like all your experience and your wisdom how do you how do you deal with shitty comments oh boy yeah everyone's got their own approach and everyone gets them no matter what you put out you put out the most safe acceptable thing on the planet you put out a picture of a kitten and somebody would be like hey go fuck yourself yeah yeah i think um uh i think in ha- i mean first of all i think so much of it comes with the territory the more successful you are the more that you're going to get it's just it's just a ratio right uh and i mean obviously the way you conduct yourself uh, uh, online it has something to do with that as well but i think it's it's unavoidable so especially on on a platform like youtube which is i think almost like more inviting of 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 that sort of thing for me uh most of the time you just ignore it you know if it's hateful then i get it off of the the youtube i i I ban the person i don't give a shit like it's you're one out of like x amount of people i don't Mm -hmm. need you on my channel i don't need you watching this stuff so i would just strictly ban somebody if it's something that's just like kind of mildly offensive again like i would ignore it for the most part but otherwise if it's like kind of funny like i might even respond to it and just kind of join in on the joke and 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 have Mm -hmm. fun like i think you have to realize because i was one of those people like i think for me like i i mean i wasn't somebody who was sending like hateful comments but like I think I, like when I was younger, I had very much like a trolls mentality on, on, on message boards and like, you know, on the internet and just kind of like enjoying the anonymity of like being behind, being behind a screen name and like being, <laughs> being able to say like just stupid stuff. Right. So I, I kind of have like a, an understanding of where they're coming from. And most of the time it's just like, you know, dudes that are just like in their parents basement, just looking to stir up some attention yeah and, yeah and it's nothing more than that so. that's a very like veteran reply 
because you've been doing this so long and I'm on like a micro level, like my channel has like a thousand subscribers, but even that's happening awesome. yeah. uh, where I'm like, oh yeah, there's people that are, you know, no matter what you say or do, they're very upset by it. They like, I guess, make it their mission to like, let you know, because the way the whole troll mentality yeah, I used to do when I was a kid on forums as well. But as an adult, I don't recall ever, like if I don't like someone's content, I simply just move on with my life. But there are people that are like grown people that seem to like they have to chime in. They have to say stuff. So like what does that say about them? Like in fact, I, I, I have pity for them if they choose to do that. Like I'm the opposite now. Like if I truly enjoy something uh, or if I see great effort being put into a video, I, I always make an effort to comment, you know, like to help the algorithm or to just like show because I know how much it means to me when I see somebody comment about something that, you mm -hmm. know, I've worked really hard on. Um, but like, I don't know what somebody could say about your videos. Like your videos are like awesome, first of all. Oh, like, thank you, man. I'm so keep... incredibly impressed at like how good you've gotten like in terms of your shooting. Like I think you're you're better than me. With the exception of the camera dying right now. Yeah, this shit happens, man. But like you, you're, you're This shot. is actually the longest I've ever ran it ever because everything has been just been quick shots. Oh, okay. This is why I wanted to, to do this and to get better at this. I, I oh, well now we know. But um but like your shots look awesome, your editing is awesome and I think conceptually like everything like you're like I've watched all your videos. I appreciate I, watched, I appreciate it. I watched all the Roman and, and Julia videos. And, I'll tell and Julia. I think great. Yeah, I think you guys are awesome. Um so the fact that somebody could say something shitty about about them just kind of tells me more about the person than it does like about you know oh yeah i mean that's just gonna happen well i've experienced that over the last couple of years on my personal channel because i used to i mean i do like pretty much everything i've tried everything i've done like vlogs i've done like short film stuff i've done comedy sketches commentary videos and i every time i try to go to like promote them on reddit I mean, there are people who would like it, and then there's just people who are just very upset that they're just seeing something uh -huh. that they happen to not like. For and, sure. And it just, I'm always like, yeah, how do other people deal with it? And I guess in your case, when you're in the Patreon, you're like, well, who gives a shit? This is that inner circle of people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think Reddit is different because, like, I think people can be very defensive if they're being advertised to, like, mm -hmm. by, by somebody. Like, I, something I've learned is that, like, you have to provide value to them. Like you have to, and I don't know what video you posted, but like you have to give them something that, you know, like is worth their time and, and doesn't just seem like a disingenuous ad for mm -hmm. something that, you know, mm -hmm. like when you're entering sort of some of the, like the internet or like YouTube, for instance, like you, you it is like, it's like a, being a stand up comedian, right? And like, you know, being in front of a pretty tough crowd, you have to like, you know, be either really good or like, you know, expect some, some level of like harshness. Yeah, yeah, which it has been, which really helped me, I guess, develop a thicker skin. Like I used to be pre ever showing my face on, on video. I used to like just be afraid of cameras and I did not want to be on it. I remember I was stopped on Young Street once by CP24 mm. uh, and they want to be like, ask my opinion on some random thing. You know, the way they stop random people. And I was like terrified. I think I just like talked way too much. I was just, I had no experience doing it, so I avoided it, and that just made it worse and worse. And having been online for the last couple of years putting stuff out, I, there's there's definitely a thicker skin now. Um, and I guess that's just the way it is. It's just, you just keep going, you, you keep getting whatever you get. Yeah, it's thicker skin, and, and again, going back to what we were talking about, the realization that, like, one comment is, like, so fleeting that, like, you know, you 
we, it's not worth dwelling on. You, it gets worse to be getting a hateful comment or to be ignored <laughs> online. Right, right. I don't know. What, what, what do you think? Well, it seems like the hateful comment implies that there's other people that are seeing this and it's getting exposure. But if you're getting no comments, that feels almost worse. Mm. That feels almost like Maybe. your thing didn't connect with anyone, good or bad. Perhaps, yeah, perhaps. I think I think when you're starting out, it's the toughest. Because mm-hmm. like, it's hard to keep going if you don't feel like people are paying attention. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me when you're to me like it's it's worth looking at maybe that this period as like sort of a blessing because this is when you can make your mistakes Mm -hmm. you know you get some level of feedback but like it's not so big that you know it's catastrophic if like you know a a million people see something and, and it's no good to me like this is where you get your reps in this is where you get really good Mm-hmm. So by the time you do get your audience, like you're already golden, you know? Yeah, dude, that's well said. Um, I think that's super helpful. Like not just to me. I mean, I'm doing this, uh, looking into a dead camera, uh, just out of habit. Not just to me. I'm doing this selfishly. Like let me let me get some of the knowledge. But I know other people also wonder about this stuff as well. That's like cool. yeah. a lot of people are like, they don't even know anyone who does this. Like I remember I started going to like events to try to meet people who do what I do and like one of the reasons I even went to improv I was like let me also meet people that maybe are like mm-hmm. you know com- comedians or writers or performers or whatever because yeah. I mean I just know people who work in an office and that's fine there's nothing wrong with it I just want to kind of expand that so to hear you say a lot of this stuff uh, means a lot and I, I really appreciate it yeah well I'm, I'm I'm so grateful that like um I can share at least something like you know that that might be useful um, but again, I do want to really emphasize, like, I think in talking this through, it's helping me kind of understand like what, what I've, I've really benefited from. And again, sticking to that schedule and being forced to repeat, you know, being forced to like keep going. And, and I think you, you can't help but naturally improve when you're on that sort of schedule, mm-hmm. you know, um, you're forced to, it's almost, again, it really does feel like for me, it's unconscious any improvement that like I might add, like, you know, improving the camera Mm -hmm. or like improving the audio quality or improving my ums, you know, when I'm speaking, it, it all kind of, it's like, well, I just did this show. I want to improve on this for the next time. Well, what can I improve on for the next time? What can I improve on for the next time? And eventually you get to a point where, you know, you're a bit more refined than when you started. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, man. I, I don't want to take up more of your time. This has been so good. I'm going to put like, all the stuff in the description you guys are obviously post wrestling was there anything else you wanted to share like you wanted to put out there yeah i just want to say like i love talking about this stuff you know i really yeah, do same. So I, I appreciate you Ron, i could go for hours me. that's part of the problem me too that's yeah, straight so up let's problem. do it we'll like, do a part two eventually yeah for sure for sure once okay once it hits a million subs i'll have you <laughs> back on which okay. might mean you'll never be back we'll do, on. we'll do a 10 hour podcast but, but yeah, no for, but, but for yeah sure. people ever want to talk about this stuff with me like i'm, I'm more than happy to like you know uh like answer dms get in my dms at way 0937 on a uh, twitter or, or or what is it uh sick you might Instagram. regret saying that but uh yeah for sure yeah um, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thank you.